Um, Ben's already acknowledged this by saying welcome to all the visitors who are here. Um, I'll do my best to welcome you, but chances are I'm not sure whether you're a visitor or a member at this point. Um, Hannah and I have done our best to, to study the directory as best you can, but y'all keep changing clothes, not wearing the same things you wore in the directory, which make it a little difficult uh, to pair that up, but we're doing our best with that. Um, it's a blessing to be here. Um, I hope, uh, I, 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 well I know because God's word is going to be spoken, but I hope it's also going to be a blessing uh, for the young people to be here on Saturday. Um, this is my invitation to you all to be here. Uh, we plan on looking at the life of Peter and some lessons that we can draw from him. Chances are many of you can relate to the life of Peter in many different ways. And we're going to be looking at that and hopefully being able to see ways in which we can improve, ways in which uh, not only young people uh, can grow in their faith, uh, but uh, perhaps... Uh, parents are going to be challenged to grow in their faith and grow in their commitment by having your child, maybe in some cases, forcing your child to be there on a Sunday or on a Saturday all day, which is a commitment. But um, I hope one that you're willing to make. And I also wa want to solicit um, to the young people, the high schoolers, middle schoolers, y'all got friends uh, from from school. Tell them about it. Bring them along. I think it would be pretty beneficial uh, for them as well, helping you all grow in your relationship with one another. Uh, but hopefully we can spread the gospel uh, to them as well. The Bible uh, is a book that I believe uh, needs, to be, uh, needs to be studied and not necessarily just read. Even though I will say uh, there, is, there is simplicity in the gospel message. Um, I believe that anyone, whether you have a Ph.D. in, in theology uh, or whether uh, you don't have any letters after your name or anything like that, I think you can understand the gospel message. There's beauty in its simplicity and there's beauty in our response to it. We've seen people here recently, a couple people here who have been mentioned several times. Um, who have been baptized. There's simplicity in our response to that gospel message. and What a beautiful thing that is. But there's so much that is rich in the, in the Bible. There are so many connections between the 66 books. Thousands of years might separate their writing, and yet there are so many strong connections between them. Maybe connections that aren't quite as obvious, but connections that are, that are important for us to study. And I mean really study. Opening up the Word, trying to understand it as best we can, remembering these things, writing these things, trying to make connections between them to deepen our understanding of the Gospel, but hopefully to deepen our understanding of God and who He is and how He loves us, to deepen our understanding of the cross and what the cross really accomplishes and being able to see the connections in those. What I hope to do tonight is we're going to discuss... Uh, Two different passages in the Bible that I'll admit, uh, I didn't notice these connections on my own. Somebody else told them to me and I thought it'd be pretty good uh, to present uh, to you all tonight. I believe these are two passages that are, come from two completely different contexts. And yet, when they are read together, I believe are there to teach us a particular lesson. I'm going to present this by doing a blind resume of sorts. Have exhibit A on one side, exhibit B on another side. We're going to present the details of each story, and you are going to then conclude which side was seen as good and which side was seen as evil. They do this a lot in sports. 
uh, where it's, it's particularly around March Madness time when you're trying to figure out, well, who's going to be in the tournament and who's not. They'll present uh, the statistics of each team on either side, or they'll do this with players to say who's better and who's not. To remove any type of bias, they remove the names, and they just put A or B, and then you list the details, and then you're supposed to be blown away uh, by which one you actually choose. But we're going to do this tonight with these two passages. In both of these passages, what you'll find are people who recognize that they are without wisdom. And as they recognize that they're without wisdom, they realize, well, I should have wisdom. I want wisdom. Wisdom would be good. And at some point in the story, they acquire wisdom in some way. And along the way, they show a proper fear of God. All right, so which one is evil and which one is good? Well, tonight... We're going to look at Genesis chapter 3 and 1 Kings chapter 3. Go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter 3. In these stories, you see a pursuit of wisdom. In these stories, you see people who desire wisdom. Wisdom is acquired. Fear of God is shown. And yet, in the case of Adam and Eve, one is seen as evil. One is actually seen as like bringing about the fall of mankind, while the other, Solomon, is praised for his pursuit of wisdom. He is given wisdom, and he's actually given additional blessings on top of that. So what gives? Where are the differences? Well, they're going to be hidden in, in, in the details here. Let's look at Genesis chapter 3. I'll have the passages on the, on the screen, but I do invite you to open up your Bibles there, as it would be good for you to be able to see the context uh, that these are, these are taken out of. In Genesis chapter 3, Eve realizes that she is without wisdom. Let's begin in verse 1 there. It says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beasts of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And then skipping down to verse 4, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. All right, so Eve realizes that she is without wisdom. How did she realize that? Who brought that to her attention? Well, it's the serpent. The serpent is the one who told her that she was without wisdom. The serpent being Satan, if you go back to or if you go over to Revelation chapter 12. Satan is the one who has told her, "You know what? There's something that you do not have. A creature that is that is described as more cunning than any beast around." That's not exactly an endorsement. To be listening to. The serpent paints wisdom as this great thing that God is kind of hoarding to himself, trying to keep man under subjection. And he's keeping it to himself. And though there is some truth in what Satan presents here, not only is he misrepresenting what wisdom is, he's misrepresenting who God is. So Eve realizes that she is without wisdom, but that is made known by Satan. She then desires wisdom. It says, the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. Why did Eve desire wisdom? Well, Satan brought that to her attention. But what she realizes after Satan dangles this fruit of wisdom in front of her is that wisdom is really good. And by the way, isn't that a good thing? That she desires wisdom, that she saw this as a good thing for her to have? We should all desire wisdom, right? But why is it that she desires wisdom? Well, it's good for the one who's receiving it. She saw this fruit, and it was good for food for the one who's eating it. 
It was pleasant to the eyes, to the one who's looking at it, and it was desirable to make one wise, to the one who takes of it. Eve saw wisdom, and she wanted wisdom, but why did she want it? She wanted it for herself. And as you continue, it simply says that she took of its fruit and ate. She took of its fruit and ate. This is a theme throughout the Bible, which begins right here, of people seeing something that they want and taking it for themselves. And I'll have more to say about this later, but perhaps the biggest problem that we see in this story is that when Eve wants something, she takes of it. Do we do this? When we want something, do we take? I mean, this starts from a very, very early age. My family can tell you very, very well about that now. Our kids are in that age. When they want something, they take it. Have we grown out of that? Or when we, when we want something in life, do we do whatever we can to take it for ourselves? Then it says that they feared God. Eventually they feared God. But this happens later in the story. In verse 10, Adam is speaking. He says, so he said... I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I, and I hid myself. Adam and Eve are afraid. Who are they afraid of? They're afraid of God. They have a fear of God. By the way, that's a good thing. You should fear God. You should fear God for many reasons. One of those reasons being His wrath. He can strike us down, and that's something that we should respect of God. That's something that we should fear. And so is it a problem that they fear God? Well, the problem is... When they feared God. They feared God after they had done something evil. They, there was a problem that presented itself, and their fear of God came after the fact. And so for all of these reasons, what they have done is seen as evil. We'll look over at 1 Kings 3 now. 1 Kings chapter 3, this is a pretty recognizable story as we look at the story of Solomon. Solomon is recognized as, as one of the wisest people to ever live, right? Well, the source of that wisdom comes from this chapter right here. In 1 Kings 3, Solomon recognizes that he is without wisdom. Verse 7 says, Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David. But I'm a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people, whom you have chosen a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. How did Solomon realize that he was without wisdom? Well, he looked inward, right? The first thing he says is that I am a little child. I'm just a kid. I don't know what I'm doing. There's this great task that you have presented to me, and as I look at myself, I realize that I am lacking. I do not know how to go out or to come in. That is to say, I don't know the ins and outs of being a king. And by the way, your people are a great people. They're, they're, they're too numerous to be numbered. I am too little to do this. But he also looks outward. As he looks at these people, he sees that this task is great, not just because of the number of people, but that these are your people, God. Your people are in need of leadership, and that leadership has been presented to me, and I know that I am lacking. So Solomon realizes that he is without wisdom because he looks at himself, and he looks at this great task that is in front of him. And so, of course, he desires Wisdom. Verse 9, the very next verse, it says, Therefore give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Because he is lacking, Solomon desires wisdom. 
He understands that wisdom is profitable for other people. He sees wisdom as something that he can use for others to discern between good and evil. Not just that he can avoid different pitfalls in his life. They're certainly good for that. But he can use wisdom to serve others. That's what he's asking you for. He wants to judge your people, this great people of yours. And as you continue reading in verse 11, he acquires wisdom. God says in verse 11, because you have asked this thing, Uh, And you have not asked for long life for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart. Solomon recognizes that he is without wisdom. He recognizes that he needs wisdom, and he is given wisdom. Why? Because he asks of God. For wisdom. He seeks wisdom and he goes to God for wisdom. There are two things that he, uh, of note that he does here. One, he asks for wisdom. But the other thing is that he asks of God. He doesn't search for wisdom in others. He doesn't go to the wise men of the age. He doesn't look to himself for wisdom as Solomon does later on in his life. But in this instance, Solomon recognizes this great thing in front of him. Something that he desperately needs and he goes to God. And asks of wisdom. And Solomon shows a proper fear of God. But it's important to note when that happens. It happens before he even asks of wisdom. Going back to verse 6. It says, You have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. As he speaks to God, he shows this proper fear and this proper reverence of God before he asks God of these things. He talks about God's mercy and God's kindness towards David. He talks about how he has given him a son to sit on the throne, presenting uh, or going back to this promise that God had made to David, that you're continuing in that promise. He is showing this reverential fear of God as he makes this request. And so for all of these reasons, what Solomon does is seen as good. So to compare the two things, as we look at each of these stories, both of these people realize that they they are without wisdom. But in the story of Genesis 3, in Adam and Eve, it's Satan who dangles that fruit in front of them. Satan is the one who presents them that they are lacking in something, while Solomon is able to look at himself and able to look outward and see that he is lacking. And while each person desires wisdom, one desires it for themselves and one desires or sees how they can then be a prophet to other people. One takes wisdom while another asks for wisdom. One, the fear of God happens after the fact. And in the other, the fear of God happens before. And so in the story of Genesis 3 and Adam and Eve, sin is met with severe consequences. While in the story of Solomon, additional blessings are given. Oftentimes, skeptics view uh, the God of the Bible as this this ego-driven dictator who just wants to keep man under his thumb. He keeps things away from man. He, He suppresses man just so that he can keep them in subjection. But any careful reading of Scripture, I believe, presents God wanting to give His people a great many blessings, but under His terms. 
He wants to give blessings to his people. We've been looking at wisdom in these two stories. He wants to give wisdom to other people. God wants people to be wise. He wants us to be able to discern between good and evil. But that wisdom doesn't come by whatever means necessary. We are to desire wisdom because it comes from God. And it is good for us and it is good for others. And yet, we often pursue wisdom out of selfish ambition. We often pursue wisdom just to be smarter than the next guy. We pursue wisdom so that we don't look like dummies around other people. We pursue wisdom just so we can win the next argument. Is that what wisdom is all about? Is that why we have wisdom? Just so we can be as great as someone else? God wants to present us wisdom. He wants to give us these things. But He wants us to do it on His terms. But we can look at a number of things. God wants to give us love. God wants to show us love. God wants to define love. He wants to show us what love really is. I think there is something embedded deep within every single one of us. To love and to be loved. We all want that. These are good desires that we have. But sometimes, we take it for ourselves. In Genesis 6, we see the sons of God... They saw the daughters of men, and they saw that they were good. And what did they do? They took them. That's the word it uses. The sons of God took the daughters of men. Why? Because they were good, and they wanted them. And if you want something, you take it. If it's out there, you can have it for yourself. And man, is love one of those things, where if you want it, you can take it. Unfortunately, people of the world do that. Do we? We have such a strong desire for love and out of selfish ambition or perhaps just out of a lack of trust in God, we go looking for it in all the wrong places. We go looking for it in ways that Satan has told us about it. Satan has said that love looks like this and so we pursue it in that way. Satan says that love is defined this way and so we pursue it in that way. Satan says that love is between this person and this person, but yet, what, how are we looking for love? Are we seeing love as a way that can, it, can, it can just benefit ourselves? Are we taking it for ourselves? Or are we rather recognizing that love is a good desire that God has put in every single one of us and seeing how we can maybe use that to be a benefit to others? And also recognizing that God is truly the one who can fulfill that desire. We do this with other things as well. I think just protection. We get in survival mode in a lot of different ways. We seek protection. We build up mental and physical walls trying to separate ourselves from other people in protection of ourselves. There's an interesting story at the end of Judges with the, uh, with the tribe of Benjamin. That's when Judges really, really gets bad. The tribe of Benjamin is kind of on the brink of eradication. They're afraid of being completely swept off the earth. And so the elders of Israel, the leaders of Israel present this proposition. They're like, hey, you know, we know the daughters of Shiloh, they like to go around this route every single time. They'll go dancing. When they go do that, take them. Take them for yourselves. When we are seeking protection, when we're seeking to protect ourselves, how are we doing it? Are we seeking God in that? Or are we seeking ourselves? I think we do this with some of the most basic necessities in life. Just basic sustenance, food, water, shelter. We sometimes take these things for ourselves. Or probably uh, more applicable to this audience, rather than just taking it for ourselves, we hoard these things for ourselves, right? We, got, we, got, we, we, were, we were talking Friday night about how many, um, how many storage units there are in this world. There are so many of them because we have things and we don't want to give them to other people. We want to hold them to ourselves as often and as long as we possibly can. 
It's interesting that the law of Moses instructed people to tithe. We even have an instruction to give, an example to give every single week. There was instruction in the law of Moses to to leave corners of your fields around to protect those who were without. Why? Why did God make that a rule for people to do? I think it's because we struggle with that. We're afraid that if I give this away, well, when I actually need it, I'm going to be without it. And so we hoard things for ourselves. We seek these things for ourselves. And we also look to just things of the world to fulfill these desires rather than asking and seeking fulfillment of God. I hope you see the point that we're making tonight. When we look at Genesis 3, we compare it with 1 Kings 3, what we see are two different ways of pursuing desires that God has given us. We can do it in a way that comes from below, and we can do it in a way that comes from above. I want to look at a New Testament parallel in James chapter 1. We'll look at James 1, and then we're going to look at James 3 in just a minute. But in James chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, it says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, that is to say that you recognize that you are without wisdom. If any of you recognizes that you are without wisdom, let him ask of God. Let him ask of God if you are without wisdom. Keep in mind the context of this passage. In James chapter 1, it's talking about the person who is experiencing a bunch of trials. They're going through a lot of hard things, but this person is willing to recognize that these trials are a joy. These things are good for me. They're able to see how they are being made better through these trials. But if you're anything like me, when you go through trials, oftentimes it reveals a lack of wisdom. So what are we supposed to do when we recognize that we are without wisdom? We're supposed to ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith. That is, you have this proper understanding, this proper fear of God before you ask of these things. You must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea. We're not supposed to ask with his lack of understanding, with his lack of fear of God, this lack of knowing who God is and how he can give to us. But the one who asks out of doubt is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. Being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. That, uh, that instability is the consequence of that sin. Turn over to James chapter 3 now. In James chapter 3, we get a contrast within this chapter, similar to what we see in Genesis 3 and in 1 Kings 3. In James 3, we see this contrast of wisdom from below and wisdom from above. Look with me at verse 14. It says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above. If you have this selfish ambition similar to what Eve showed the woman saw that the tree was desirable to make one wise if you are seeking these things seeking wisdom out of selfish ambition don't lie and say that's wisdom if you're seeking just just to win the argument that's not wisdom that's wisdom from below this wisdom is not that which comes down from above back in verse 15 but is earthly natural and demonic it comes from below It comes from Satan. Satan is the one who is giving that to you, giving that information to you. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. The consequence of what 
Adam and Eve did, God says, because you have done this, cursed are you. I love the description of the result of this wisdom. The result of this wisdom from below is disorder. You know, in Genesis 1, when God created everything, you know what's, what, what is said to exist in Genesis 1 and verse 2? Disorder. A bunch of chaos is around. And what does God do to that chaos but create order? God is a creator of order. That's what He gives to His people. But when we seek wisdom from below, when we seek wisdom from Satan, that which He describes and He gives us, all we're going to get is disorder. The opposite of what God creates. Then looking at the opposite side of that, verse 13, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. Skip it down to verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. Think back to what Solomon did. Solomon wanted wisdom. And why did he want it? Because he wanted to be more peaceable, more gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. He says, give your servant an understanding heart, a heart that's more like God's, so that I can judge your people. Verse 18, And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. God is pleased when we pursue that wisdom. It was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon asked for this thing. God is pleased by these things because when we do this, when we are pursuing wisdom from above, we are truly bearing His image. We are reflecting Him in the way that we're supposed to. Though we've spent most of this lesson discussing wisdom, this isn't necessarily a lesson on wisdom, although I guess you could say that this path to wisdom is a wise path. But we're not necessarily talking about wisdom. The purpose of this lesson is this. Our good desires will only be fulfilled when we ask of God and pursue them on His terms. If you want true fulfillment, if you want true satisfaction... They will only be fulfilled when we ask of God and pursue them on His terms. There are many things that we pursue in life. I believe many things that are instilled in us to pursue. We've looked at some of those tonight. Good things that we can pursue. But He asks that we seek fulfillment for those pursuits through Him. And I hope this side-by-side comparison of Genesis 3, 1 Kings 3, and then the two different parts in James chapter 3 serves uh, as something that's helpful for you to see that there are two different paths that we can take. We can find wisdom, we can find love, we can find protection, we can find shelter, we can find mercy, in all these different ways, but the only true fulfillment that we find is through God. We need to understand that God is the giver of all good things, and we only find true satisfaction him. I guess I could have started with this, read this, and sat down, and y'all would have been just fine with that. But in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus summarizes this pretty well. Turn over to Matthew 7. In the Sermon on the Mount, which I believe we need to be reflecting on more and more each day. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus summarizes this pretty well. Beginning of verse 7. He says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you 
Who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give what is good to those who ask him? The encouragement tonight is that we would ask, we would seek, and we would knock. While we can find happiness and we can find joy in our fellow man, or to use the example that Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 7, we can find that in our, in our parents. Our parents are, are good for that in most respects. But what does he call them? He says they're evil. If you, being evil, know how to give good things to your children, how much more will God give for you? So stop looking for satisfaction in all of these other things. All of these other things, they might have elements of good in it only because God has put good in it. Look for the source. Go to God for that. God wants to give us generously, but we must ask and seek and knock from Him. Maybe you're seeking tonight. Maybe you can put yourself in that category of one who is seeking. You're not a Christian, but you, you're, you're thinking about it. You're intrigued. You're curious about what we've talked about tonight. Or you read portions of Scripture and it's piqued your interest. If you are truly seeking if you're truly asking questions and knocking and trying to find answers, I believe you will find it. But if we can help along the way, get with some of us. Get with one of us. See what we can do. I, I, we should direct you to Scripture so that you might, be, you might learn more about who God is. But maybe you've already been asking, seeking, and knocking, and you are ready to make a commitment, and you are ready to be baptized. The invitation is for you. I hope you would do that. But if you, this is peaked... I guess a different interest in those who are Christians. An interest in being right with God. There's an easy way to do that. God has opened up prayer that we can ask for forgiveness to Him. Maybe you need to do that just personally where you're sitting right now, but maybe you want to make things public. If you have any need of either one of those invitations, please come up now while we stand and while we sing.